again and welcome to In Gear with the Shop. I'm your host, Reagan Dickinson. And we're pleased to welcome back Josh Polson and Jared Cohen to debate and discuss employee hiring and retention. But before we get into it with Josh and Jared, just a reminder that you can find this episode and past episodes at theshopmag.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Go to your favorite platform, subscribe, and listen at your leisure. Josh Polson is principal of Auto Editions in Columbus, Ohio. He's the chair-elect of the SEMA Pro Council, that is the Professional Restylers Council, and a member of Restylers United, a group of the top restyling shops in the United States. Jared Cohen is CEO of Auto Action Group in New York and New Jersey. He's a board member of the SEMA Pro Council, is also a member of Restylers United, and has been instrumental in the advancement of safety technology represented by the Vision Zero movement. Both are also columnists for The Shop Magazine. So without further ado, let's get in gear with Josh and Jared. So today we're going to talk about hiring and retaining employees. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that uh, we see when we talk to other shops in the market. One of the number one issues, one of the biggest challenges they have is exactly that, hiring and retaining employees, particularly now. So I wanted to get y'all's feedback on the different ways that you approach that. And uh, since we're talking about hiring and then retaining, I think we should talk about the interview process first and, and how you're screening people and how do you find that good fit for your shop? Well, I can dig into it first if you want me to, Reagan. Sure, um, go for it, Josh. Well, one thing we do at Auto Editions is... You know, when we are looking for someone, depending on the job that we're uh, looking to fill, mm-hmm. uh, we we try to do a quick phone screen, ask a few questions, just the basic things, make sure they have reliable transportation, make sure they're looking for the hours we're looking for, make sure they have a little bit of understanding and knowledge of the job we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a technician, we'll actually do a working interview where we'll have them come in and work with us for maybe half a day or a couple hours at least. And they have an opportunity to bring some of their own, you know, basic hand tools if they want. But that way we see if they really understand or have um, the skills that it takes to be a technician. Mm -hmm. Um, Do they follow instruction? Do they listen on how we do some training? And do they catch on? And that can be much more valuable for us than sitting down and talking with someone and them telling us how great they are. But when we get to see them in action, it really helps us. And we usually uh, it's a paid interview, too. So we usually pay him for that interview. Okay. do you kind of follow the same guidelines there or do you do it a little bit differently? Yeah, no, very similar to what Josh is saying. You know, uh, we ask very similar questions. We try to vet them out on on the phone uh, prior to bringing them in. And to Josh's point, if it's a technician, we certainly do a a hands-on, you know, show us what you're capable of or what you're not, and that's okay. You know, a lot of times we bring people in that want to build a career out of this and really aren't sure what direction to go. And uh, we afford them the opportunity to be transparent about that, uh, whether they start at more of a remedial role what we look for ultimately is uh, the character of the person. Right? Josh touched on proper transportation. Can they get to work? Do they show up every day? Mm-hmm. Those are the traits that we look for, yeah. more so than the ability to perform. It's certainly important. You know, uh, 100% it's important. Are, are there certain questions that you ask to vet them beforehand to find out or at least to get some sense of what their character is and if they're going to be a fit for your shop? One thing I like to ask is, 
you know, where where were you working at last? And what did you like about that job? What did you not like about that job? Yeah. You know, they'll usually tell they'll be honest people, especially as you start talking to them a little bit. And one thing, if they are a bad apple, it usually comes out pretty quick because they'll start bad mouthing their ex-employer and how much they hated their manager and how they were treated poorly at the last three jobs and everything. And now you're thinking, okay, great, I'm just going to be the next (laughs) employer in line here that has done this person wrong. So those are things I look for that, you know, make some red flags real quick. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's exactly the road that we travel. You got to be careful. You, you know, there's certain things you can and can't say. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you want to consult HR slash payroll provider if you wanted to dive into you know certain questions. So definitely, you want to just keep the top level and let them tell the story. Mm-hmm. And you could determine pretty quickly if you think uh, the person will be a good fit or not. Well, you know, Josh mentioned what is basically a red flag for him. Are there red flags for you, Jared? It's the same thing Josh is talking about. I mean, what we look at, if you're looking at a piece of paper, is uh, length of, of stay at any, at any job, right? So if someone's bouncing around a lot, it makes us uneasy, uh, especially when we're looking to maybe invest the time and energy to train that individual. So really, it's just, you know, it's how they present themselves on the phone, how they present themselves when they show up. And we look for good people before necessarily a, a skilled senior technician. Well, are there certain methods that you found even before the interview process, at least as far as finding candidates who are going to actually apply for that position? Nowadays, everybody should have a resume. If they don't have a very good resume, another thing we ask for is, um, you know, because maybe their resume doesn't really speak to the industry that we're in and we don't want that to uh, negate hiring them. But what we'll look for is give us a few Uh, sentences on why you feel you would be a good fit with our company. And we encourage them to go to our website, learn a little bit about us, and then tell us why why do you want to work with us? Mm -hmm. And I have found some people that their resume was totally other things, but then they tell me that they're a car enthusiast. They've always worked on cars. They love it. They wish it was was their dream job. They wish they could be around it every day. And all of a sudden, now I'm thinking, well, okay, this person that was working at a law firm (laughs) now wants to work with me, you know, but there's a good reason why. So I, we found that that'd be a key reason, not just get a resume, but maybe ask some questions. Why do they want to work with us? Mm-hmm. So once you bring somebody on board, what does that look like for you? I mean, what, what are some of the first things that you do is do you have a training program in place for new employees? For us, you know, that is one thing that we have struggled with over the years, because depending on, you know, when you're a smaller company, you really just don't have a couple of weeks to put them in some kind of a training atmosphere. So we kind of tell them, listen, it's going to feel like you're going to jump into the deep end of the pool, but hang on, we're here. You got your floaties on and we're going to swim with you. So we do some shadowing. We have them shadow someone for a few days and then we start slowly letting them do, you know, minor things until they get more confident. But it also tells the kind of person we have because the person we're looking for wants to jump in. They want to learn how to swim quick. And if we find that right person, then usually we don't have to worry about a long, drawn-out training period. They're usually up and running within a couple weeks. Okay. And what about you, Jared? What do those first steps look like? Do you have a training program, for example, in place? Yeah, that's a great question. So even before the training program, Mm -hmm. what we've learned and what we've seen is it's so important to manage the onboarding process, the paperwork, 
the, the hiring kit, if they are a salesperson, they need business cards. Make sure you have business cards prepared. If they need a computer, make sure the computer is ready to go. Right? When people come in and start that first day of work, if they're sitting there, like a lot of us, and we did in the past, are not prepared for that person, they're excited to start that job. They're going to have a bad taste in their mouth when they go home and their wife or their husband asks them, how was your first day? Uh, you know, kind of sat there, you know, trying to figure out. No one's training. No one's giving you. If you give them the computer, if you give them the tools, if you say, hey, this is what we're doing to hit the ground running, it, it really, it pulls well. And, and we've been complimented in the most recent uh, few experiences uh, with just that, that people that worked at other companies say that really it's night and day the way we've rolled out the hiring portion of, of that kit. But then you talk about the training program. So what we do is specific projects, depending on what you're being hired for, you're either going to go into the shop, you're going to apprentice under somebody, and every week we have trainers that write up the progress of that individual. Mm-hmm. Or if you're going out to certain projects that are off-site, what we do is we run what's called classroom training. So we'll go ahead and you'll have five days of classroom training. You're going to learn about the technology you're installing. You're going to run through some dry runs of the installation in our shop with the technology. Mm-hmm. You're going to kit the hardware to get experience with the kitting. And then we're going to give you a short little fun test at the end of the week. So long as you pass it, we're going to give you a certificate. It just legitimizes the process. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you're going to go out in the field and start your field training. So we've, we've done that successfully, about three rounds of it in the last two months. Okay. Uh, three rounds of about two or three gentlemen a piece. So ladies, gentlemen, but you know, it doesn't matter who, who onboards, obviously. But uh, sure. that program is a little more drilled down and defined, whereas in the shop, uh, it's more of a, you know, you're just going to kind of attach yourself to some senior level uh, technician uh, with experience, and then you're going you're gonna to grow as quickly or at whatever pace that your abilities uh, allow you to. But certainly, you know, we tell people, I'll reiterate, about showing up on time, you know, you're in probationary period for the first 30 days where there's a cost associated with training you, right? So we're paying you to be trained, um, and we have no problem with that. But we don't expect you to show up late or not show up at all for the first 30 days. And if you can't perform and show us that you're capable of that, then we're probably not a good fit. Gotcha. As part of that, do you um, provide cross-training? In other words, do they have their kind of fit position or do you like to have them cross-trained so that they have a bigger picture view of what y'all are doing overall in the shop? Yeah, and you have to be cross-trained. We fought that challenge. That's a challenge that we've been fighting for years, but we've finally overcome it. You have to be cross-trained because like Josh, we install leather interiors. We install uh, film, we install uh, sunroofs, wheel repair. So there's so many facets to that shop and so many opportunities to make money. And everything is primarily commission-based. So if you want to make money in something maybe seasonal that you're specializing in, it behooves you to learn other traits. And we encourage it. So, for example, we have two guys currently training on film that were predominantly leather installers. that came in, learned leather, understood it, and said, look, we want to learn film. Uh, so this way, when maybe we're light on leathers and we're slammed in film, because that always seems to happen, right? And then the salespeople get upset, we can't get the work done. The cross-training allows them the ability to continuously grow every day and, and earn a living of what they're accustomed to. It also makes them more valuable, too, because... You know, if they're able to do different types of jobs, then if we don't have the work, you know, they're around. Plus, you know, it's different when you have to, uh, it's a lot harder to schedule because our business, like Jared said, can go up and down on certain products so fast. So when you're able to pool different guys or just, you know, put them in different areas, they like it better because it's a different scenery. 
but also, you know, they're worth more money because now they can do multiple different things. So mm-hmm. they are that that's where the growth comes into. Plus, you know, it just helps them feel more accomplished because they're doing more for the company. So how would you describe your culture, Jared? Our, very, very our, Jersey-ish. Our culture, <laughs> yeah, uh, our culture is, is very much of the do it right, 100% do it right. Mm-hmm. And we all work together and help each other out, but make sure we take the extra steps and watch each other's back. And that that's contagious. We go out there and we take pride as a group, knowing that there's not many companies that we're working with that can do it as well as we can do it. Mm-hmm. And it's contagious. You know, you see people come up and they know, they know what they're, they're expected to do already from just seeing and watching this, right? We'll get them involved in the kidding. The kidding process can go south very easily. But the fact that we have even the entry level personnel taking such pride in their kidding responsibilities and making sure everything's hundred percent and it's contagious. It feeds off one another. Everybody's proud to work with each other. They respect one another. And it's exciting because ultimately there's that light at the end of the tunnel where you have the ability to make six figures as a technician. And that's not been seen before, Yeah, at least for, for me in this industry. But with some of these larger scale projects, it's more than a wish list. It's, it's a reality for, for many guys that work for us today. So you definitely want that positive culture. You want people coming in excited to come in every day and do their job and accomplish the task at hand uh, and do it the right way. And my assumption, Jared, is that it doesn't happen organically necessarily, that there are things that you have to do as a as a manager, essentially, to make sure that that culture is is actually being followed and, you know, that the people are accepting it and embracing that culture. Are there specific things that you do to make sure that they are? It starts top down, I think, is to your point. And then, you know, it was just... You know, having these people that were close to me in the organization over the last three years, it was a buy-in amongst all of us. And we all understood mm. that. Don't worry about, don't chase the money. You know, a couple of my key guys say, don't ever chase the money. The money will come. Just focus on doing the job and doing it right. And we, you know, we struggled for three years. We were traveling all over the country. Josh knows uh, well, you know, and, and rolling out these projects and, and struggling through them. But, but always saying we're going to do it the right way. Let's stay focused. Don't chase the money. Let's chase the goal and the project and what we want to accomplish and the money will come. And being that we built that over the three years, it's not just me now preaching this any longer. It's a bunch of my people and I don't have to, you know, I put my head on my pillow at night and this is true because a lot of our shifts are 8 PM to four in the morning. Uh, I go to sleep and in the beginning I wasn't <laughs> two in the morning, three in the morning I was texting them and they're like, Jared, get up, go to sleep. We got this. And it's, it's knowing that I can go to sleep at night and that, the guys I have in the field are doing it the exact way I would expect it to be done because that's how they want it to be done. And they realize they see the big picture. So the culture was really built over time to your point, And it doesn't happen overnight, but it starts with you. It starts with you as being a leader and, and expressing what you expect and, and rewarding those people through, you know, growth. It's not always about the money, but it's about title growth inside the company, you know, status, you know, those things we talk about. Some people may not think are important, but they really are. Uh, they really are people. Mm-hmm. Reagan, I would also say, you know, just 
encourage shop owners to look at their employees. Sometimes, you know, in talking to a lot of shop owners, we see the, well, this is my business. I built this and, you know, they're getting a paycheck. So, you know, they should be happy to come to work. And and realistically, that doesn't create the kind of culture that we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. You know, you should really want to do more for your people. Um, they are the ones that uh, are are doing the heavy lifting. As much as we want to think it's all it's about us, it's really not. If it's not for the everyday little things that get done, then it doesn't matter how much the owner does. So I think by you know doing some rewards, you know not just looking as their paycheck as their as their reward, but doing other things. Maybe it's a, a gift. Maybe it's uh, some time off. Uh, you know, like Jared said, money's not always um, the motivator. So whatever does motivate, find out what motivates. It could be different things for different people. Mm-hmm. But find those things out, Come get to know them personally, have those uh, conversations, and try to do your most at some attaboys. Just saying thank you to people at times. Tell them how much you appreciate them. Those can go so much further than maybe an extra 50 or $100 when it comes to a long-term culture relationship. Okay. And what is the most important thing that y'all have learned to ensure a productive, happy employee? You know, because a lot of this is going to be trial by error, right? Over the years, maybe you found things that worked very well or some things that did not. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, you know, before we answer this question, you know, there's factors out of our control. So we have to be cognizant of that, right? Personal issues or concerns or, or sure, yeah. they affect the employee greater than you can even sometimes help pull them out of. But the fact that we, we offer a well-rounded, you know, medical benefits, uh, we match 25% on a 401k. We've been successful over the years educating uh, technicians and, and, and a lot of our personnel as to what a 401k was and encourage them to invest in it. And they look back today and they got smiles on their faces. I mean, this past year was a tough year, but they look at that 401k and those are little things that I don't know if other shops would have necessarily encouraged or even offered. Uh, so some of the benefits I think are, are key. And then I think it's just how you treat people. I think what Josh touched on before saying thank you. I mean, it's simple. And, and just to walk around with a smile on your face you as the leader, as the owner, it's contagious. If you walk around depressed or yelling or angry all the time, that, that's that's going to be a contagious vibe. But if you walk around smiling and energized, joking around, having fun with things, but also, you know, let them know that we're here to, to do a job. Uh, you know, I think that's that's so key for us, at least. And then we put a, a frozen a fr- uh, soft serve machine in uh, this past year. So that... What? Yeah, and Jocelyn crushes it. It's 140 calories, powder-based, so for lactose uh, efficiencies. And it is chocolate vanilla with raspberry. And you should see how much powdered ice cream we go through. I couldn't believe it, guys. We buy it from oh a distributor, my. and we go through ice cream like you can't believe. So, yes, <laughs> probably one of the biggest things for employee retention right now is the fact that they can have uh, their own customized swirl with all the toppings whenever they want. Are you sure it's not your partner Joe eating it all? No, yeah, he may. You know, he's a closet eater though, so we don't see it. But okay. yeah, someone's running through it, but it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Send me an app. Send me an application. <laughs> <laughs> okay what about you josh do you offer like a an open wet bar or something like that goodness i mean i'm trying to think you know in new jersey what does that ice cream machine look like with a wet bar right behind it i don't know but uh a little you know, yeah really um 
I mean, I was going to say I'll go get a popcorn machine, but I don't think that holds weight. So oh, it's a pain uh, to clean up. Too. Oh, yeah. OK, well, I'll look for something. But, you know, I, I think the one thing that we I have learned over the years is I try to help as many people as possible. Sometimes there are things in their personal life that you can't help. Mm -hmm. But if we try to help someone and give them the best working environment we can, then I can sleep well at night. And some people are going to flourish in that. Some people are not. But we try to do as much as we can, make sure they have everything they need to be successful so it's not on us. But then when things start to come up and we start to get excuses or we start to get different signs that maybe this person isn't working out, you know, we're more apt to recognize those signs, those red flags sooner now than maybe in times past. In times past, I was like, oh, well, we'll just give them another chance to do this, to do that. But sometimes people are, are just not cut out to do certain things. And that's fine. You know, everybody has a seat on the bus. They just have to make sure they're in the right seat. So just probably looking more and find seeing those red flags come up now more so than others. And then on the flip side, all the different things that we can reward them about when they do something well, you know, recognizing those things, thanking them for those things and hopefully, hopefully building on those successes. Well, you mentioned, Josh, you know, making the best possible working environment. What are some of the components of a good working environment in your mind? What are some of those things that you've implemented to make that excellent working environment? Well, I think it's it's probably broken down into two things, you know, physical working environment and then mental working environment. You know, physically, you know, do they have the equipment they need, the right tools, the environment, temperature, whatever it might be to work for? If, for instance, office, do they have decent computers? Do they have good monitors? Do they have the right tools they need, the right storage bins or whatever it might be? And then the um, mental side of it is, you know, are you are you expecting too much of a person? You know, are you throwing are you constantly changing their schedule around? Are you doing things that are frustrating? And that's what it comes to, you know, the management team is are we treating our employees the way they would want to be treated? You know, mm -hmm. not dumping a bunch of things on them, expecting the impossible, but just working with them, communicating with them. So if you give them those two environments, then usually you're going to have good outcomes. Okay. And I think Josh touched on something just a minute ago, recognizing somebody that's just not going to necessarily cut it. And I think as managers, as owners, it's, it's vital. And we try really hard to recognize people's strengths and weaknesses. And you'll be successful if you could identify that strength. And maybe it's not what they're doing for you today and exploit that strength and downplay their weakness. And if you can figure that out and look at employee by employee, and you got to kind of have an open mind to it because it may not be something that you would necessarily think that that person or individual would be good at, but if you can identify the individual strengths and, and exploit those strengths, we've had a lot of success with that over uh, the last few years. How do you identify those strengths, Jared? Just in time, just, you know, evaluating, watching, uh, communicating uh -huh. with them. Okay. Jocelyn, like I said, she handles HR here. She does a really good job of communicating and understanding that individual and watching that individual and then recommending to me and Joe what she believes is probably the best fit. So, you know, we've had, I mean, just a couple of examples. We've had quite a bit of people that come in for our driver positions, right? And they come in as driver positions. Well, I can't even tell you how many people started as a driver. Now, one's a project manager for projects for us. Uh, multiple ones are installers. Two are now are run our warehouse in the kid. So it's just a matter of, you know, they came in and started, and, you know, we saw what where they would be great at something, where their strengths were, where they potential detail or whatever it may be. 
uh, and exploited that. You know, some guys came in and said they want to be a 12-volt installer, electronics installer. And they struggled with, you know, the wiring and we moved them and, and then flourish in leather or... You know, that's more of a real move for us to conceptualize, to think about is, okay, if he can't install this, can he install that? Mm-hmm. But I challenge you to not even think about, if he can't install this, well, maybe he can install that, but wow, look at his attention, look at his cleanliness when he does that. Even though he's not installing it properly, what else can we do? How can we exploit that, that, that cleanliness, right? Mm-hmm. Attention to detail. Like, what are the roles are we looking for? So that, that's something that's it's not necessarily easy to do. I'm not great at it. Like I said, she does a really good job of it, but it's opened my eyes to say that there's something there. You know, you should really look at people and not just kind of throw them in a bucket because that's what they're applying for. Gotcha. Well, you know what the music means. Our time is up, but I really appreciate the discussion once again, and hope to have you all on again for another discussion on another topic. Looking forward to it. Thank you for having us. Go get some ice cream. Or donuts for that matter, right? Yes. Okay. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, thank y'all. Take care. We're looking forward to having that dynamic duo again soon to tackle other pressing topics, and we appreciate their perspectives. Be sure to check out our website at theshopmag.com, where you can access this podcast, plus all kinds of news and information designed for the specialty aftermarket shops. You can also subscribe to the monthly magazine and the daily e-newsletter while you're there. And until next time, adios amigos. Adios amigos.